It is my privilege today to introduce our esteemed honorary member, Professor Hugh Taylor AC, our 50th Angus Mitchell orator. Hugh is a Melbourne Laureate Professor and the Harold Mitchell Chair of Indigenous Eye Health at the University of Melbourne. From 1990 to 2007, he was the Professor of Ophthalmology at the University of Melbourne and the founding director of the Centre for Eye Research Australia. Prior to that, he was Professor of Ophthalmology at the Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore with joint appointments uh, in uh, epidemiology and international health. He's been president of the International Council of Ophthalmology and vice president of the International Advisory for the Prevention of Blindness and chairman of Vision 2020 Australia. He has served a number of international bodies, including the World Health Organization. He is currently working close with the gap for to close the gap for vision by eliminating trachoma and providing equity in eye health for Indigenous Australians. He's written 30 books and reports and more than 700 scientific papers. He has received multiple international awards and prizes and in 2001 was made a companion of the Order of Australia. It is now my distinct privilege to call on Professor Hugh Taylor AC our distinguished honorary member to deliver the 50th Angus Mitchell oration, how to fix a leaky pipe, providing quality in eye health. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you, Thank you very much, uh, President Kevin. Rotarians, ladies and gentlemen, I do want to start off by acknowledging that although we are dispersed, we are all meeting on Aboriginal traditional land and to pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging, and to recognise that sovereignty of this land has never been ceded. I also want to say how honoured I am to be asked to give this oration named after Sir Angus Mitchell. It really is a great privilege. As President Kevin has said, and you know better than I do, uh, Angus Mitchell was the previous president of the club, not once, but twice, and he was the first Australian to be president of Rotary International. It is a distinct honour to be giving the 50th oration. And as I look at the list of previous orators, many of them are well known. Some of them I have known personally, but all have been extraordinary leaders in their respective fields. And it's very humbling to be asked to follow them. I have had the pleasure of reading the biography written by Owen Parnaby, Angus Mitchell, Rotarian and Peacemaker. And as I started to read the biography and also the history that Parnaby wrote on Melbourne Rotary, I started to feel an affinity <clears throat> for Angus Mitchell. My childhood was spent in his neighbourhood, about halfway between his two homes in Armidale and Malvern. We both went to Scotch College. Our daughters went to Lauriston, as did my sisters. I was a Boy Scout and he did so much for the Scouts. And we were both members of the Turak Presbyterian Church. However, unlike him, I've never been an office holder in Rotary, although I am very proud to be an honorary member of the Rotary Club of Melbourne. But like him, I'm also the proud recipient of a Paul Harris Award. It was presented to me by the Rotary Club of Houston, Texas. 
As I read about the close linkages Angus Mitchell had with Japan, it reminded me greatly of my grandfather, who also had many close relationships with Japan, both before and after the Second World War. And as a young boy, I heard a lot about these still very unusual visits. Having completed my schooling, I studied medicine at the University of Melbourne and then trained in ophthalmology at the Royal Victorian INA Hospital. In 1976, I spent a year working as the assistant director of the National Trachoma and Eye Health Program. This was an Australian-wide program led by Fred Hollows that assisted and provided eye care to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across the country. One of the things I found then was that healthy Aboriginal people have much better vision than previously thought possible. When we measure vision, we, uh, we describe normal vision as being 6-6 vision. This means that a person can read at six metres the letter the so-called normal person can read at six metres. If you are very old-fashioned or an American, that would be 2020 when the test is being done at 20 feet instead of at six metres. To drive a car legally, you need to have at least 612 vision. That means at six metres, you can read the letters that the normal person should be able to see at 12 metres. Well, <clears throat> I found that the average vision of healthy Aboriginal adults was 6.25. That meant they could read all the way at six metres what the normal person could only read at 2.5 metres. What was even more extraordinary was that there were some who had much finer vision. They could see 6, 1.5. That is, they could go back to six metres to see the letters that the normal person would have to only be one and a half metres away from. These findings got somewhat lost in the scientific literature and my attempt to have them listed in the Guinness Book of Records was rejected. But then some astronomers from Sydney were studying the constellations described by the Aboriginal people a century or so ago. They could not make sense of them. There were stars that were missing. They couldn't fill in the gaps. Having talked to me about the vision of Aboriginal people, they went back with their binoculars. Suddenly, they could fill in all the missing stars that the Aboriginal people could see clearly on their own. However, the major and sobering finding of this early work on the National Trachoma and Eye Health Program was that the rate of blindness in Indigenous Australians was 10 times higher than in non-Indigenous Australians, and that blinding trachoma was still all too common. After a number of programs, uh, after that, a number of programs and initiatives were started. Some had some impact, but there were no major or long-lasting changes. Having completed this field work, I then went to the Wilmer Institute at Johns Hopkins uh, in Baltimore for a year's fellowship in corneal surgery. Although I ended up staying for 14 years. When I left, as President Kevin mentioned, I was a professor in ophthalmology, but also in epidemiology and in international health. I returned to Melbourne in 1990 as the professor of ophthalmology at the University of Melbourne to the chair established and named after my grandfather. And later, I established the Centre for Eye Research Australia. In 1996, 
I was asked to prepare a report for the Australian government on the eye care needs of Indigenous Australians. I was shocked and disappointed to see how little had changed over the previous 20 years. The report made a number of recommendations. They were all adopted in principle by the government, but unfortunately, they were only partially implemented and as a result, not much changed. So in 2008, I took a more concerted approach to try to improve eye care. I moved to the Melbourne School of Population and Global Health and focused full time on changing the system to get equity in eye care. We have a small group who've worked very hard and done great work. And we started off with a national survey to clarify the distribution and causes of vision loss. We found the rate of blindness was now six times higher than that in other Australians with cataract, diabetic retinopathy, undercorrected refractive error, and trachoma being the major causes of vision loss. And trachoma was still a major problem, particularly in the outback areas. Overall, some 84% of the vision loss was preventable or treatable, but only about a third of the adults had ever had an eye exam. Amazingly, the unmet need was similar in the towns and cities as it was in the more remote areas. I often say we found the unmet need in Fitzroy to be the same as it was in Fitzroy Crossing. In Fitzroy Crossing and other remote areas, we clearly need more services, more optometry, more ophthalmology and other services. But the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service in Nicholson Street is less than a mile from the Royal Victorian Eye and Ear Hospital, the largest eye hospital in the Southern Hemisphere. All we need to do is get people to walk across Victoria Parade. Remember, three quarters of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people live in the towns and the cities. Only a quarter live in the more remote areas. Then we undertook a series of health services studies. We looked top down at the use of government funded eye services. We looked bottom up with case studies of existing services. We conducted a series of focus groups within the communities and workshops with various stakeholders. We undertook a historical review of health programs over the previous 30 years, looking for the keys of success of new programs. We also undertook an economic analysis of the costs and benefits of intervening. We came up with the notion that the pathway of care or the patient journey was like a leaky pipe. There were lots of leaks or cracks where people would fall out of the broken system. If you only fixed one or two leaks, the pipe would still be leaking. You actually had to fix them all. We ended up with 42 things that had to be addressed. These formed our roadmap to close the gap for vision. The roadmap is a long-term plan to provide well-coordinated care and support for eye care. It calls for regional eye health services that are adequately uh, resourced and supported so that they can meet their population-based needs for eye care, not just the perceived demand. They can provide appropriate case management for patients that prefer and monitor their progress. There is still more work to do, but now we have 57 regional networks 
in the 63 self-defined regions across the country. To help establish these regional groups, state level eye care committees were established. And these also assist with the state provided services, such as providing subsidized spectacles and access to public cataract surgery. We needed to get some new Medicare item numbers for eye care provided in the primary health clinics. These included an item for screening eye photography for people with diabetes. And the government has now provided retinal cameras to over 150 Aboriginal medical services to facilitate this. To raise awareness of the need for eye exams, particularly for those with diabetes, a wide range of health promotional materials and activities were developed after extensive Indigenous community input and consultation. These resources have included flip charts, videos, T-shirts, sports, carnival, uh, sports carnivals and clinic reminders. The examination and referral rates for diabetic eye disease have more than doubled in this time. The government funds uh, visiting outreach services. The Visiting Optometry Service or VOSTROP for optometrists and the Rural Outreach Health Fund or ROF for ophthalmologists and other medical practitioners. These outreach services provide, uh, uh, provided uh, have increased and the number of eye exams have also increased now threefold. However, we still need a further 25% increase to fully meet the population-based needs. Similarly, cataract surgery rates have also more than doubled, although there's still some more work to do there. So far, I've been talking about general eye care, and I know you all have, uh, at Melbourne Rotary, a special interest in trachoma. And we are very aware and grateful for the leadership of Melbourne Rotary in introducing and convincing Australian Rotary to commit to the elimination of blinding trachoma by 2020 as a Rotarian R100 centenary project. Melbourne Rotary has done a great job with the building of these interactive water trailers led by Peter Rogers and his team. And also Rob McGurk and his team have done a magnificent job with the Entracoma program. We are very grateful for that. Let me talk a little bit about trachoma. Australia is the only developed country to still have trachoma. It remains a problem in and around Central Australia. Trachoma is this blinding eye infection that used to be called Sandy Blight. It disappeared from mainstream Australia 100 years ago. It's an unusual bacterial infection. It is spread from one child's eye to another. Children may have to be reinfected 150 times or so to end up with enough damage and scarring to cause blindness. The key to stopping these frequent episodes of infection is to keep all the children's faces clean. Working with government-supported screening and treatment programs, we have focused on improving facial cleanliness and hygiene. Our message is clean faces, strong eyes. And this is developed by Milpa, the trachoma goanna. And Milpa is the name given by the Walkery people to our mascot, and it means the eye goanna. Again, a wide range of health promotion materials and approaches has been developed. 
These include posters, educational packages, TV and radio messages, music carnivals, large murals in, in many communities, and particularly football clinics run in conjunction with the Melbourne Football Club. Go the mighty Ds. We are working closely with other stakeholders on broader issues of hygiene, education and housing. And here I want to mention again the great support we've received from Rotary. The water trailers, the soap, the mirrors, the community washing facilities and so forth. They've made a great difference. To date, some real progress has been made in eliminating trachoma. The rate of trachoma in children in the endemic areas has fallen from 21% in 2008, down to 4% last year. There are still hotspot communities and there's more intensive work that's needed. We had hoped to have been able to meet the WHO criteria for the elimination of blinding trachoma as a public health problem by the end of 2020. But now much of this work has been put on hold because of the coronavirus. Of course, the COVID-19 pandemic is having a major impact on all of our work. If the coronavirus starts to spread in the Indigenous communities, it will have a very devastating impact and surely a very high death rate. So there's been a huge amount of work going on to support the communities and reduce the possibility of coronavirus infection. All the Aboriginal health services and their staff are fully focused on the COVID-19 programs and other work is more or less on hold for the time being. Although you can wash your hands without washing your face, you cannot wash your face without washing your hands. This makes the clean faces, strong eyes message doubly important. And so over the last month or two, we have been uh, building on our trachoma messages to include the COVID-19 messages about hand washing, social distancing, sneezing into your elbow, and also helping with the provision of soap. Overall, for Indigenous Eye Health, our long-term goal is to establish equity by building uh, equity for eye care by building long-term and sustainable services. But this also requires ongoing monitoring and reporting. If it's not measured, it's not done, and it can't be managed. The Australian Institute of Health and Welfare now reports annually on the provision of Indigenous eye health services. So this is government data. This isn't a professor from an ivory tower in some university somewhere. The, uh, however, to measure the real changes in eye health, surveys are needed to see what's actually happening on the ground. The National Eye Health Survey was conducted in 2015 and it showed that the gap for blindness had been halved from being six times higher in 2008 down to be three times higher in 2015. Although still not acceptable, some real progress was being made. We are waiting for a repeat survey that was due to start in 2020 that unfortunately is delayed by the COVID-19 pandemic. The Close the Gap Committee was formed uh, by uh, the, the Close the Gap Committee was formed in 2008 by representatives of a number of the Aboriginal community controlled organisations and interested non-government groups. They came up with some very concrete recommendations to literally close the 10 year gap in life expectancy 
and the other gaps in health, education and employment. The government's response was to move from the target or goal of closing the gap, of having the gap closed, to the process of closing the gap. The government reports each year on the progress or the lack of progress in implementing these changes. And it has taken more than two years to prepare a refresh for the closing of the gap process. However, in the last six months or so, there's been certain dramatic change with broad community input. The National Coalition of Peak Aboriginal Organisations now has an equal role with governments in preparing the new approach. At last, it is being done with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, not to them. This is part of the interaction so urgently needed and so eloquently set out in the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Although much of our work has focused on eye care, there are some lessons that could guide others providing specialist care for other conditions, such as diabetes, hearing loss or kidney disease. What we have really done is to strengthen primary care and to link them with specialist services. The recognition that there was not a simple fix of doing just one or two things was fundamental to our work. One had to look at the patient journey or the pathway of care and address each of the issues. Where the, This is where the health systems and analogy of the leaky pipe was most helpful. We obviously had to work closely with community groups and organisations. It was also important for the sector to speak with one voice and bring together the community, service providers and the professions. We had to focus on solutions, not just problems. The politicians and policy makers had more than enough problems. What they need is solutions. Finally, we had to focus on what needs to be done and not specifically how it be done in each particular clinic. This enabled many local, locally appropriate variations and initiatives to be worked through. Indigenous Australians still have unnecessary blindness and vision loss, but there has been some really good progress being made. We now have the elimination of Indigenous avoidable blindness by 2020 set out in the long-term national health plan that's been approved by the states and federal governments with strong sector endorsement. So we're looking forward with optimism in the future. I want to thank again Melbourne Rotary for the privilege of giving the 2020 Angus Mitchell oration. I can only echo the words that Jean Harris, Paul Harris's widow, said of Angus Mitchell after he died. What a life of devotion and an inspiring example to follow. Clearly, Melbourne Rotary has continued his great work and is following his example. I thank you all for listening. Thank you.